Signs of the Southland, July 18th, 2021. Mr. Grant, have you ever watched an entire sports franchise melt down over the course of four consecutive days? Because I sure have. See, at least uh, in baseball, it takes like 13 straight losses for, you know, the Cubs to implode. But you've kind of had a little bit more uh, hitting the nail on the head, if you will. It's more like... I don't know, hitting a screw with a hammer. It's like the, the wrong thing was used. The wrong, the wrong person was fired. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things you can do with this bit. Y'all got so spoiled out of the gate here in Atlanta. And don't even start with me. You know that we had that coming at some point. I also I've told that you that they was going to suck along. at some point. I've said that all along. It's unrealistic expectations caused by, I don't know. I thought y'all had great management, but apparently they must be bad too. Yeah, then not the best, not the best that I've ever seen. Um, but you know, on to bigger and better things, I guess. Like uh, Georgia Tech softball, right? Am I right? Am I am I hitting the point with that segue? You really just ramrodded that straight down. But you know what? We gotta. We got to do these previews, don't we? I mean, we, we do them because we want to, not because we have to. Let's not make this a uh, uh, very rote and robotic here. <laughs> I mean, dare I say I actually very much enjoy talking softball. I feel like, I, I don't know, there, there, there's plenty that we can unpack with this week. Many packages to unpack? Many boxes? Sure. Speaking of boxes to unpack, I finally feel completely moved in uh, to this here apartment. So uh, an apt metaphor. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, tease aside, we are talking uh, about softball today as the second week of our preview series before uh, the fall season of sports kicks off. Let's start with a basic intro. Like we like to say, or as we've learned to say, every podcast is someone's first. Every podcast is someone's first. Let's first talk about the basics of the sport at the college level. Everyone knows what softball is as a sport. It's baseball, but underhand fast pitch on a smaller diamond, smaller field dimensions, yada, yada, yada. But when it comes to college and even when it comes to the college game, there are some differences um, from what you may recognize with other sports like baseball and basketball. So walk me through some of the basics here, especially when it comes to competition and, and championships. Well, given that softball doesn't, isn't really guaranteed to go back to the Olympics after this year. So for one, appreciate it while it's there. Uh, and for two, that their pro league is notoriously uh, inconsistent at best at keeping teams afloat and whatnot. This is at a high level or, or like a, a bird's eye view, probably the highest level of competition in this sport. Is it not? Oh, I would agree. Um, I mean, you saw some higher level of competition or like a similar level of competition Um in terms of the pro stuff with some of the summer invitationals uh, yeah. that team USA played, but also 
like the vast majority of the newly assembled like 2021 or 2020 team USA, because we are apparently still using that branding for everything um, are all from the college game. I mean, like they're all from the college game in the U S right there. It's not like soccer where some of them might be coming from different academies uh, across, uh, across Europe or, or across even Central America in some cases, they are all from the college system. Um, as you can hear the rain coming down in, in Atlanta behind me, um, it, it just it really just got dark out my window too. But um, gotta love recording during storms. Am I right? <laughs> true. Um, I, I think, and like I, I don't love the all right. We're gonna make a parallel to baseball here all the time when we talk about softball. But for most of our listeners, and and for most of like like popular culture, baseball is the more known or the entry level uh, for our listenership and stuff. So I will compare it to baseball. You're talking about all these teams playing team USA, playing team Canada, yada, yada, being American college or NCAA prospects. Um, And even more so than baseball, which is, you know, has a significant Asian presence, has a significant, significant Mexican, South American, Caribbean, um, and, and even some like the, Netherlands, German, a little bit over in Europe. Curacao, baby. Softball, I think more than basically every sport except maybe football is truly a very America-centric game. Yeah. And so the problem with that, I think, is that we are then forced to compare Georgia Tech to literally what is perhaps the best teams on the planet in any given year. Yeah. I mean, or at least, or at least some sort of top 10, right? Obviously team USA is always going to exist. There's going to be three, four, five, six pro teams, but like Oklahoma. Oklahoma has multiple Olympians this cycle. So does UCLA. Like like we're we're not talking like all, like we're not talking old alum, like Oklahoma alumni. We're talking like, UCLA, one of UCLA's starting pitchers from this season is on Team USA mm-hmm. and will be – is in Tokyo. Like, it, it, you're right. I think to wrap up that piece of discussion, like, this is the highest form of the sport in the world. Like, I, I don't really think that there's, like, a big – like, yeah, there's not much of an argument that you can make against it. So – Let's talk about how it's laid out. So in terms of your usual schedule, your competition format, um, usually these college teams play 50-something games, usually weekend series for their conference matchups, uh, and then uh, they'll do weekday non-conference games. Uh, that'll feed into a conference tournament, usually uh, at the end of the season. Uh, the ACC's conference tournament, I think, is 10 teams. Twelve now, since we added Clemson and uh, and Duke, it's twelve. Well, it's twelve teams uh, with two play-in games, so I think that's eleven and twelve and nine and ten are both the play-in spots. Um, uh, and then that funnels into, I guess that would be the quarterfinals. I don't know, math is hard. Uh, yeah. And for the NCAA tournament, it's set up the exact same way as the baseball tournament. It's a sixty-four team bracket. Uh, 16 regionals based in, you know, each local ballpark, uh, which feed into the super regionals, which are three game series between two regional winners, then the women's college world series. But this one is in Oklahoma city 
Uh, and then that is, you know, the same setup as two regionals, which then condense into the championship series, which is a th- three-game series. This year's championship series, if I remember correctly, was, what was it, FSU in Oklahoma again? Yep. Which was very, very fun. Very, yeah, I, very I, good I, on TV. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, again, th- there's there's this, I, I think, somewhat maligned and unfair perception of the stickball sports, if you will, being not good TV products. People who like MLB complain that college baseball sloppy. People that, you know, are, That's are purists or football purists that go, oh, like baseball, softball, whatever, hard to watch. But college baseball, college softball, but college softball in particular there is a fantastic television sport, I would say. I mean, it's a great in-person watching sport as well, honestly. I think, I mean, both of us have clocked a lot of hours at uh, Shirley Meaborn Field in our our time. I I will throw out some free advertising for EFIS, which is a website that is, I think it's from Alabama, but you bought me a notebook of scorebook paper from them a couple years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I have more softball games uh, than baseball games because I, I I don't know they, there's just a lot of games they play a ton it's a I believe longer season than baseball too um, but uh, I think uh, before we like dive into the the nitty gritty I think it's of tech in particular I think it's worth noting just how much uh, like growth in popularity cultural cachet national relevance viewership numbers on ESPN for the tournament softball as a sport has seen explosive growth in the last what five years yeah I I said oh god when you mentioned viewership numbers because this is a sidebar one thing that MLS fans get very 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 upset about uh is if you compare their viewership numbers uh, uh, of MLS games on e- on mainline ESPN to uh, NCAA tournament NCAA softball tournament games on ESPN because people do the softball absolutely smoke ML midweek like any MLS game on that network if they're played at the reasonably same time there's also been like multiple MLS games that have been preempted by softball finishing up it's it's a whole thing American soccer fans have a complex about it. It's I'm on both sides of this issue. I know you don't watch a ton of soccer, but I do. It's simultaneously frustrating and also very fun. <laughs> but I digress. I, I was going to say, I, I think that the sport and, and the stars and, and the teams have just been marketed very much better and not in the traditional like best basketball football rivalries but just in a hey this is a fun sport to watch and play and and uh i think the numbers bear it out it's certainly the most popular of the non uh football men's women's basketball and baseball sports in, in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of numbers on that but uh i think moving on um we we touched on the competition format um for those that don't know at tech uh, our ladies play at Mewborn field which is at 8th and Fowler uh, across the way from McCamish, uh, Rose Bowl Field, Griffin Track, Ken Byers. Um, and then abutting behind it is the old O'Keefe High School, junior high, whatever it was. Um, junior high. Yeah, junior high. Okay. 
I always forget. I'm pretty sure it was a junior high. Anyway, it was subsumed by campus, so it yes. doesn't matter. Yes. Um, and then obviously on the other side of the building is volleyball. So they're they're right up on the hill over there. Um, in our notes, uh, before we get into the like the program history, uh, it is worth noting that that has not been their home forever. It was the, I guess the first, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first of the like new age, like, you know, that like wave of stadium and, and facility renovation that they did in the early 2010s. Yes. I think it yeah, was, like, I, I think Ken Byers and it were simultaneous. Because I, I think, think Byers, Byers was 2010. Okay. But McCamish was right at the same time too, is, is what I'm getting. Right, right, right. Because so, McCamish was a, was a full Reno. Like that entire 10th oh, yeah. and Fowler block, it was under construction at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then they resurfaced the track and, and, and whatnot. So basically part of the big, I guess, uh, well, for Reborn, it wasn't even a teardown rebuild, but, you know, teardown yeah, rebuild. It was like construction. Yes. Um, for those who really want to dive in, um, they were originally uh, in land adjacent to what is now the Noonan Golf Facility uh, between 14th and 16th. Um, Noonan did not exist, I believe, at the time, at least not in its current form. And Tech has since sold the land uh, for it to be developed as apartments. It is um, now apartments. It was, yes. so, yeah, it is, it, it's either, no, I thought it was, it might still be a lot. No, no, it, it's there. It's at McCaslin and 16th. It, yeah. it definitely exists. I live right behind it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's apartments now. Uh, I think if you go on Google earth and scroll back 10 years, almost 10 years, that, 12 years. We, I feel like we we're just like one day, right? We we do we dove into this. We like spent a couple hours digging into and digging into this and finding some images because it's very curious because you, there's not a lot of references to where they used to play and also where they it's used to not play. Not an elevated field. <laughs> oh no, it's like it, it's like a child. It used to be like a child softball field. Yep. Like like t-ball fields is what what it was, which is not a, a ACC quality. And, and not a place where they can host regionals, ACC tournaments, things like that. The, the new digs are a lot better is how we should put that uh, kindly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So they moved from Glen Field to Mewbourne Field in 2009. Uh, there was a nice little, you know, um, what, anniversary season in 2019 to celebrate the 10-year. It was, uh, it was neat. It was, it was fun. Um, hey, uh, they also got to host, I believe, a super regional against Washington in that first season, didn't they? Yeah, that's what it says on the on the tin on the Mewborn Field page on Brandon, right? Yeah. Uh, it also was one of the first softball tournaments to be broadcasted in HD. I think that's from that stadium. Uh, so it's also neat. Yep, I agree. Um, but I believe that's also the last postseason ball that they've hosted they last made the tournament in 2012 so you know you're a couple years off on that you know math like you realize is hard especially when you have a master's degree i don't know if they hosted that year though shame on me um but Bad podcast prepare, preparation here on both of our they, they also 
after that spent a little bit in the wilderness of not even making the previous uh, uh, 10 team format ACC tournament. Did they not? Yeah. So we're, we're talking about a program that has what six ACC tournament championships that second or it's second most with FSU. I'm pretty sure. And FSU is, I mean, been pretty dominant for a while. Yeah. And so you're talking about a, a, ACC softball program, Georgia Tech, that was pretty dominant at the sport in the conference for most of the the, the 2000s, because you, you, you've you heard about Jen Yee and Eileen Morales has come back to coach, and um, I don't know what the... Oh, I was going for, I got a comment after this, but yes, Jen Yee, Eileen Morales, these are Olympian caliber players. These are Olympian caliber players, and that was a buzzing program, pun not intended. Uh, for, I mean, until about 2012, 2011-ish. Um, yep. And then it's kind of unclear what happened. You had a coach get fired, um, a caretaker coach come in for a couple years. You had rumors. How, I'm what, not sure any of those are concrete enough for us to actually talk oh. about. But, yeah. but well, I, I think the competition level came up. It was a really bad timing for that firing because despite Tech sort of taking a, be, uh, a step back in that 2011-2012 season, or I think it might have been the season right after that, you also had the level of competition in the rest of the ACC slowly come up in, in that period immediately after the firing when Tech was sort of in the wilderness. So you saw that groundswell of talent, that travel team talent that Tech was taking advantage of in the state of Georgia is just sort of go – other places pick other programs where they would get guaranteed starting time etc cetera, etc cetera. well and that that acc that tech dominated in the in the 2000s is not the acc we play today heck even even three four years ago the the acc was a one two-ish bid league right like this was not in the classical sense of the word a power conference in softball and, and part of that's because there's only for a lot of those years in early 2000s that there were six, seven teams in the conference. Like <laughs> there wasn't a lot of conference to be dominated. And at the same time, like we'll get more into the current state of the ACC later. But if you want to, if you want to say that tech dipped at the worst time, and that would be the rebirth of Florida state as a national powerhouse. And at the same time, other schools uh, reinvesting in softball and making good hires or, starting programs with well-heeled uh, bases that got off from the ground running, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the, the story of your Clemson Duke softball is a lot more similar to your Atlanta United than it is to your Atlanta Thrashers, you know? Oof, that's a deep cut. You really had, you really planned that one out. I actually didn't. I made it up on the spot, but thanks. Oof. Uh, so let's talk about the current state of the program. Cause I think we, we sort of talked our way through, the 2000s, the 10s, and now let's get into the later part of the 10s and the, and the early 20s here. Well, I, I think a good place to start that would be where where were they at when we started, you know, doing this podcast, started paying attention, started being students, right? Like, like that's where we're most educated to start. And, and I think that's where you can say it's, it's the waning days of the previous regime is a fair place to start, right? Yeah. So you have, I think it was Shelly Horner, who uh, I got one season of when I was at Tech. So that's 2015. Um, and then, no, you have, no. 
Oh, you got one season two? Yeah. Okay, so that's 2016. So 2016, 17 is Horner. And then 17, 18, 19, 20. No, 18, 19, 20, and 21 have been Morales, who, like we said, was a standout at, at Georgia Tech during the golden years and then came back um, after a stint, as a, a four-year stint, I believe, uh, as a coach at Radford. He was so, somewhere before Radford. This is a really not good preparation podcast no, no. from us. Yeah, no. The um, she did come via Radford though. Okay, okay, we're, we're we're on track, but I think now is a good time. Obviously, since we sort of set it up, let's talk about the, these first four years of the Morales tenure era experiment. I don't know. I think the way that you describe this team in the last four years is sort of a rebuilding process much in the same way as you talk about the current state of the football team right yeah you're, I, you're, talk, you're talking about a roster that was kind of that de- destitute of high level in-state talent those first couple of seasons and now you're recruiting more heavily from those travel teams in state you're even picking out a couple of standouts from other states like pulled emma emma cal from what nebraska um so you're, you're looking at higher and higher level talent starting to come to the program. It, it tracks similar to how, um, to how football has sort of worked out so far. But at the same time, you see that growth sort of, I, I don't know if you can say it's peaked, but it's definitely hit a low. Yeah. I mean, if you look at where they were my freshman year, uh, again, the first year I feel like truly educated to speak on. The so that is the first season that you were on campus was 2017. Yeah, spring 2017. That was a not good team, right? And to take that and flip it around to be above 500 that next year, make the ACC tournament for the first time in a while. I believe we hosted the ACC tournament in 2018 as well. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain we did. Um mm-hmm. Because we have, it was either 18 or 19, and I don't think it was 19. Um, yeah, because FSU hosted a 19. Anyways, to take that and then, oh, wow, we took this big step up. We're, you know, punching our weight basically in conference again. Granted, you know, you're not going to go and take a series from FSU or anything like that, but you're going to get you're going to get some respectable wins, be middle of the table, et cetera, and then play some postseason ball, which, frankly, if you make the tournament, in any sport, the conference tournament, you have a chance to play for the right to go to the postseason, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's a step up. And then the next year, you saw the win total increase a little bit, not maybe as much as we thought. And then obviously 2020 cut short, but that, that was a team that stalled a little bit out of the gate. And I guess when the pandemic hit, it was starting to hit its stride a little bit. And then mm-hmm. you kind of saw the inverse this last year in which – Granted, weird COVID year, some some new additions to the coaching staff. Two series marked off because of uh, issues at other schools. Yes, and those are, those were series with winnable games too. That that was I mean, those are eight games taken off the schedule. Losing wow. UNC and Syracuse again, that being the Syracuse team that we not only beat but no hit in the ACC tournament from the schedule. You win, you win three, four games each series I think is a reasonable expectation based on how they throttled Virginia who was 
the worst that's team good. in the conference. Like, that, that's a team that's almost 500 after being really unlucky, being a little bit inconsistent in the circle and at the plate. Like, for a, a team that had, quite frankly, a, a fair amount of flaws, they were a couple unlucky breaks away from being a 500 team again last year. I mean, just to go back to our notes here, they were 20 and 26, right? 20 and 26 yeah. is the number that I saw. Uh, and 11 and 19 in the conference, finishing ninth. So talking about six games under 500, eight games under 500 in the conference, you add those eight games back to the schedule and you actually play out the, uh, you know, play those out. You're right. Like we obviously can't go back and predict what, the, what they're going to do in those games, but it's, there's at least a chance that they maybe split that series. And now you're looking at 24 and 30 or something like that, or, or, or something better. Right. Obviously, that's still six games under 500, but you, you get the picture. Like, yeah. there's the, the possibility for getting closer to 500 based on the results of those series. And, and this is a team that got walked off, I think, two or three times. Multiple times. NC State and, and lost a couple heartbreakers to good teams like FSU and Clemson being a run or two away for a win. And, and that includes in the ACC tournament as well, almost knocking off Clemson. Like, that – this team isn't a, it's a team that was better than it was, but not as good as a five and zero start and getting slipping into some rankings kind of uh, implied or, or gave us the hope that they would be, I think at the beginning of the year. And, and I think that's probably a, a, a leading edge to the biggest question is like, we've been talking for years, like tech needs to text fine at the plate or all right at the plate. It needs pitching to come along. Oh, we got an element. Great pitcher. She needs help. When's that going to come along? Like, there's just so many, like, it's an additive process, but at some point it's, it's really been three, maybe four years now. Uh, the first year was a big step up, but like, since then it's been, it's like, crust. A, lot of, a lot of the same. Like if they had a bigger non-conference slate, like they would have been closer to 500. And then you just are more superficially close to the team that you've been, you know, in, in 2018 and 2019. But this is the, I, I think we're, we're rounding the corner to sort of talk about what 2022 might look like, but let's talk about who might contribute to that season and, and success that season. You touched on Blake Nelliman. Um, she was the only pitcher on the, on the staff with a sub four ERA. She no hit Syracuse in the ACC tournament playing game. And she had a really good opening weekend. And we saw her open the weekend in 2022 uh, in 2020 as well versus Washington. And that's when you and I, we, we sat there and we're like, this could be like, this could be something really good. Cause she held the, I mean, she played really well versus Washington. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, like, I, I think that the flip side of that coin is too, like, not that you can't expect if, if you're going to be an Oklahoma or an FSU you need a pitcher that's going to have a zero or a one in that ERA and it's going to be that first digit, but like you can have a really successful year and a solid pitching staff with, you know, like pitchers that are, you know, you're going to get they're going to give up maybe three, four runs a game, but you have to be able to get those back. And like that puts you in a position where you can win, like quite frankly. And, and that kind of translates, I guess, or, or, moves on to just, I think we saw relative inconsistency at the plate. And at the top of the list of our averages, if you look at the season stats, 
Uh, they were led by Trisha Awald with a 411, and she graduated. So I think having that like surefire backstop fire starter type player um, and, and, and Emma Koff had a, a fantastic first full year in the ACC, but, and with, with AWOL gone, Roper transferring, is it, is it fair to say that the bigger question might be at the plate than, than on the mound? And, and I kind of agree. I, I, but I don't necessarily think that I agree as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I think they have holes to fill. Like, I, in my notes here, I have written down, um, like, they're going to need someone to fill that power gap without uh, a wall in the lineup. They're going to need someone to fill the, you know, the hit machine kind of consistency that Roper usually had. Um, you know, mark kind of marking out 2020 just based, or 2021, uh, because that was an, uh, you know, a bit of an inconsistent year for her. Um they're going to need to figure plug some holes uh, in the infield and outfield too. I mean, you need to find someone to play uh, the designated player spot. You need to find someone to play third base. You, uh, I can see the argument for the problem mainly being at the plate, but at the same time, I think you have players on this roster that can get hits when needed and it doesn't come out to, Oh, the entire lineup needs to be able to get hits. Yeah. I, I mean, they, I think we saw the pros and cons of that at a certain level last year, but for, to me, the thing that is, that was actively costing them games as much as it says, as much as it kind of sucks to say it was very, very inconsistent performances on the mound. I mean, yeah. we're looking at look, the ERAs, on the uh for the pitchers here Nelliman at three eight seven and then you have a bunch that are at three four five three seven zero or no, sorry four four five four seven zero four seven five four nine one and then thirteen thirty six and then sixteen eighty granted the last two are with in extremely small sample sizes but in a combined what is this like probably almost 180 innings pitched behind Blake Nelliman, other than Blake Nelliman, you're still hovering around like just under five in terms of your ERA. I think that's still the most serious problem. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's hard because ERA, uh, like obviously like certain things get filtered out of that with, with errors and, and the like and, and whatnot contributing to that. But I wouldn't say that like sometimes the, the, the fielding or, or pure bad luck or, or, and things like that, like, I don't know. I think all facets of the game just need a little bit of tightening, but I do like that, that Nelman and, and Pinholster, they're, they're both going to be around for a while and they were our two best pitchers. And I think with, you know, a more normal off season and a coaching staff that's, more consistent because we it's worth noting that going into 21 we, we did see some turnover in the uh in the assistant pool so mm-hmm. I, I don't know it, it just seems like like i don't know it, it's it's unfair to say everything needs work but like you tighten up the defense a little bit you you get the bat around a little bit more or, or take another couple walks or, or whatever whatever it is and then get a little bit better on the mound i think that 
the, the, the old stick ball sports are places where those incremental improvements add up to be a lot, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this in reference to baseball, right? We, we talk about successful regional teams don't make mistakes. They don't make errors. They, uh, they don't strike out a ton. They, they try not to shoot themselves in the foot. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think some of the problems here are just, you know, like you said, they got super unlucky with fielding in some games. They got walked off in other games. You can point to, you can point to luck at a certain level for causing the results, but at the same time, luck, luck doesn't account for the situations that you're in, right? Statistically, over over the long term, quality usually, or quality or performance quality, let's say accounts for the situations that you're in the average situations that you're put into. And I, I think getting some more consistency on the mound helps more than getting some of those hitting things tightened up. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I think it's, uh, I don't know. It, I would hope that we can, it, cause like, this sounds a little weird to say for a team that was, you know, 500 ish, a little over, a little under the last couple of years. I feel like we're seeing the core kind of like, or like the original core, the a wall after she transferred Roper transferring out uh, Stanford getting to, I believe her senior year Huckabee. I, I think she was a fifth year senior last year. So I think she's gone like that original core, I guess is kind of. Almost gone. Almost entirely gone, and you got to reload from that. So, but I mean, if you want to talk about recruits, I think now is a good time in terms of how they're reloading that. They they did bring in the seventeenth overall national class, yeah. right? And and to their credit, that that includes three pitchers, and yes. then they also brought in a transfer. So clearly, it's an area of focus. Right. Yeah. It's something that they're looking at and evaluating, saying, hey, it's not just enough that we need to bring in. Um, we, we need to replace our losses on the mound. It's we need to you know, we need to cycle some people in, see what they can do uh, and really get. I mean, money's worth is a bad way of talking about this in, in college sports, but your NIL's worth, right? You're, you're re- really see what they can do. Right. See if they can really spin it. And I mean. You only get so many roster spots, so got to fill them well. You only get so many scholarships in softball, so you got to allocate them properly. Yep. I think we've done a lot of talking on the hitting and the pitching really kind of – I think the way that we're trending in terms of who needs to break out for this season, because that's the next thing on our shot sheet, it has to be one of the pitchers. Right. Someone that is new on, on the mound has to step up and help Nelman out, whether that's in the rotation uh, or whether that's in the from the uh, from the bullpen, which I guess in softball is effectively effectively the same thing uh, for the most part. Yep. And then you need to find a third base woman that can hit because yeah. those I mean, uh, performances were not particularly good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. You need to find quality at bats. Um, let's see. We we touched on the K 
can coaching staff upgrades pay dues with the full off season a little bit? Um, I think, again, it is worth noting that going out and getting a well-regarded Tennessee assistant, not a bad move. I think that has potential in it too, that we haven't really seen uh, all that can give us yet. I don't know. Uh, again, I, I think this is, especially with more non-con games, a 500 team back in the ACC tournament should be the floor of the expectation, right? I, I would go a little further, right? Okay. My gut kind of says that this year the floor has got to be the NCAA tournament. Like your expectation has to be the NCAA tournament, especially considering like you got to be over 500 and you got to figure out some way, somehow to get into the tournament, whether that's based on strength of schedule, strength of record, yada, yada, yada. I think this has got to be the year. It's got to be either this year or next year at worst. Um, yeah. You got to record something. And I, I think more just like showing that momentum again or that growth. But you're kind of right. Like we're we're getting towards, you know, it's it's a full cycle of of Morales era recruits, right? That that's mm-hmm. her team through and through. The the passner the passner point, you know. Yeah, it's get old and stay old, right? That that's the that's the whole point of I guess passner shtick. But at the same time, you have like you said, this is an entirely Morales roster. It's not a Horner roster anymore. So. What are you going to do with it? This It's not a prove it year. It's not a contract year, right? I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but I still think it's it's pretty important that in order to show progress, you make the tournament. You don't have to, like, you don't have to get out of the regional. Like, th- this isn't baseball where the expectation is get out of a regional for the first time since 06, right? The, the, the deal is make it to a regional. You don't have to host it. You don't have to get out. Make it to a regional. Maybe win a game. You Who knows? Lose two, and it would still be the best season we've had in a decade. Like, yeah, that's, that's perfectly reasonable. And we we play now in an era like like yes, you need more pitching. Yes, you need to find a third baseman. Yes, you need to replace your first baseman. Yada yada yada. But like we like, there's more room for error in the modern ACC, if that makes sense. Like, like you can be a, a fifth or sixth best team in the ACC and, and be in the conversation for a, for a bit. I, and that, I, I mean, we, we touched on that last year. Five, six years ago. And, and we touched on that uh, when we were previewing the team last year, right? It's, there is a void with, with FSU at the top of the pile. And I mean, even with Clemson and Duke right under them, there is a void right after them. Mm-hmm. And you fill that void. Can you be a team that is solidly mid-table? Can you be the, the Tottenham or Everton of, uh, of the ACC? These are not jokes that hit you, but they will hit someone and it will be, it will be amazing uh, when they listen to it. But can you be comfortable being that mid-tier in 2022? And then can you make that jump? into the second tier in 2023 that i think is the progression that we have to see here in order to um you know in order to continue to see progress progression progress you you get the point yeah i I agree and and like literally just just getting into that that mix you have to at some point in order to get there you can't just pile up all your wins uh, on the Virginia, Pitt, Syracuse's of the conference or 
off your non-con schedule outside of, you know, the SEC teams that we play or the Big Ten teams that we play. You know, they're going to have to win a big game. You know, you, you need to pull off an upset. You need to – They're going to have to take a couple – They're going to have to take one off of Clemson. They're going to have to take one off of Duke. They're going to have to take one off of FSU. It's, it's a tough upper crust of the conference. They're going to have to do it, regardless of when they do it. If it's in the turn, if it's in the ACC tournament, or if it's in the middle of the season, they got to do it, right? Yep. And and I, and I think capitalizing on the the Notre Dame's, Virginia Tech's, Louisville's that that mid tier is where you're gonna where you're gonna have to start. I think the summary for us is that this is not a bad program. It's it's not. It's a it's a program that has potential. It's just not playing up to that potential. And, and I think both of us see it, right? We're, we're talking about, you know, making some noise in the ACC tournament, making some uh, uh, and doing some damage and getting to the, getting the NCAA tournament. I, I think I don't, but I don't think that those are high bars to set, right? Or particularly like a few, exaggerating or like egregiously high bars to set. We're not expecting magic. We're just expecting like, this is what the team is capable of. I think the thing too is like it would be arrogant to say that we are the program's biggest fans, but we we love this team like more than more than a lot of like. It's the reason why we're doing it. Second, succeed, you know, and like I don't want to be like, hey, there's all these things to fix and, and whatnot, you know, like it it that there's going to be a point where they need to deliver. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think taking steps towards that goal would represent a successful improvement for next year, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I have struck out in our shot shoot, but I actually do want to kind of bring this up because you, you've touched on it. It's that concept of delivery. We can sort of, and this is bleeding football into, into talking about softball at a certain level, but bear with me. Um, the concept of that delivery, this is sort of the first, this, I mean, Eileen Morales was Stan, Todd Stansbury's first hire, right? This is year five of Eileen Morales on, on campus. Does, can we take any lessons from this sort of delivery or, or this expectation of delivery Can we take something from that and sort of project out to football or at least project out to the way that Todd manages his programs, right? Because at a a certain level, some of his hires have to, you know, make the jump, right? And like I'm saying, these next two years are where they softball specifically needs to make the jump. Yeah. And and I mean, that's something that is different about being a, 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 a building process of being somebody that's not an institution for, for lack of a better word, like, like granted, I'm not trying to insinuate anywhere close to the following, but like Bruce Hepler is an institution. He is a massively successful coach. Danny Hall has been here for a long time and has amassed a lot of wins, right? The calculus on that, I think is inherently different from the Jeff, Nell, Eileen, like the, the, I guess those are his three main hires, right? Like mm-hmm. three the, only hires. Three only hires. Okay. Like, but then again, like us drawing conclusions from the results of 
softball, which is a different sport from women's basketball, which is a different sport than football. Like, like at some point I, I, I get it and the philosophy I get, but like at the same time, like it's just so apples and oranges in my head that it's like, I want to go that like, you know, we're, we're, we're tech fans. We try and rationalize, connect, overanalyze. And, and I just don't know how, like the financial realities of the hire are different. The, the law, like it sucks to say the, the, the attention on the sport isn't as much. So I think you inherently get at least somewhat longer of a, of a rope from that, but I don't know. It, it, it's one of those like, like, I don't know. It, it's lots of I don't knows here. I mean, I mean, it's a hard question, right? It, it, it's a hard question. It's a hard, and, like you said, it's an apples to oranges comparison. I don't, I didn't expect there to be like an easy answer, right? There's no, uh, it, it's a hard question to answer. Is how can you sort of ju- juxtapose success in one sport uh, on success in another? And some of this is like undoubtedly some level of like not wanting to like say bad things about anything but like at the end of the day like there sometimes like there are honest things that we could take away from from the program that do need to be said but like quite frankly like I may not agree with everything Jeff Collins does and how he does it but there is some form of some momentum I may not agree with everything that happens in softball or volleyball or women's basketball or, or whatever the sport, but like, I think this is the the first time in the, this will be the sixth year I've been directly connected to Georgia Tech sports. I, I can't think of a single sport that doesn't have something to hang their hat on and be like, look, we're doing this thing and there's progress and, and, in some form or fashion, whether that's recruiting great individuals at, at, at championships or, or, or our team success, we haven't seen in a decade, <coughs> men's and women's basketball, you know, like, like at some level, yeah, softball, uh, it, just having a great recruiting class is good. Not regressing back to what it was before. Like, like there, there's some sort of bar raised type situation. It's just a matter of like, does that momentum or, or is that momentum or is it just raising the floor a little bit? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if this is momentum, then, you know, each, each step you take buys you that much more credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that wraps our discussion up very nicely. I don't really have anything to say on top of that. Fair enough. We're going to look at what the conference is going to look like next I year. I, I think we kind of covered it, right? It's, it's FSU at the top of the dog pile. Uh, Clemson, Duke, Virginia Tech exists. Notre Dame exists. But again, it's a void. There's a void right after those top three teams. Uh, Louisville is going to be good. Uh, I, I, I like their talent eye, but I'm a little bit biased. Boo! That is not unbiased journalism. That is straight to jail right away. <laughs> Anybody who wants unbiased journalism should not be listening to a Fox Media fan site podcast, but that's just my take. Yeah, I try to be at least even keeled. In my oh, yeah. Analysis. Me too. But you let me meme, Akshay. I let you meme all, all the time, you know. But. No, only Atlanta-based memeing is allowed on this program. Oh, fair enough. Okay. I think both of us are done. It's getting late at night. Mr. Grant, do you have anything else you want to you add before we wrap up here? 
Uh, don't get rained on, people. It seems like it's raining every day. <laughs> That's about all I got. All right. Well, you, you do that. See you later, everyone.